Hola, amor. Hola, cariño. Y bienvenidos a Uy, qué horror, a Latinx horror movie podcast with Johnny and Eileen. I am Johnny. And I'm Eileen. Hola, ¿cómo estás? Buenas tardes. <laughs> Buenas tardes. Buenas. Remember in Nicaragua when you would go to people's houses and you'd just be like, Buenas, buenas, buenas. I mean, I think that's everywhere, but I just... Buenas. You know what always used to weird me out? When people what? would answer the phone, bueno. <laughs> it's a big Mexican thing, like, bueno. Which to me, I'm like, well, well say something, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> bueno. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway... How's it going, everybody? How you doing? Hi, Eileen. You look lovely. You look refreshed. You're glowing. Thank you. I uh, I washed my face. Listen, that's the magic. First of all, let's just say right off the top, because we're supposed to do this, and I fucking forget every single time. You always have to remind me. But hi, everybody. Please remember to rate, subscribe, review in whatever order you prefer. We appreciate yes. it. Leave us a fucking review. Comment wherever you comment. You know, just send us some love because... It makes a big difference for us. Plus, we have such a good time doing this for you. So, you know, send us some love. Yeah, we would appreciate it. Muchísimas gracias. Gracias. And also, last week or whenever it was, we started a new tradition, which I already forgot. You literally yes. had to remind me before we started recording. <laughs> but we're doing... Have we come up with a title for this? Eh, Títulos en español. Títulos de terror. Algo así. <laughs> yeah, we'll, sure, whatever. We'll, we'll find it. We'll find yeah, it soon We'll enough. get there. We'll get yeah. there. So Brainstorm we're it. doing something where we're finding the titles of horror movies, but in Spanish that you might yeah. not know. What did you come up with today? It's going to be really disappointing. I can already feel your eyes rolling to the back of your head. However... It ties in somewhat to the movie that I have picked for us today. So today, okay, the title that we are going to do in Spanish for our little new thing is The Birds by Alfred Hitchcock, which is Los Pájaros. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason, the reason I picked that is because I picked a movie today. Mm, and boy, um, Jesus fucking Christ, you guys. It is a... Motion picture, as Eileen <laughs> said before we started recording, she was like, it is a motion picture. <laughs> and uh, so it is called El Pantano de los Cuervos, which means the swamp of the ravens. So, you know, birds, ravens, here we go. That's my light connection. So just so everybody knows, this is a Spain production, which we do not do here at Wikiorror. No. This is a Latinx horror movie podcast, pero the reason I picked this, even though this is a Spain production, is because it was filmed in Ecuador. And that is a country we have not done yet on the pod. That's been one of the tough ones to find. That yeah. one has been really hard to find. I mean, we have the ones that have thousands of them, and then we have the ones that are just like, bro, not a single dang thing. So yeah. And something we're learning is that, like, distribution rights, stuff like that, sometimes it's really difficult for these movies to just, or for, for these countries to get their movies out there. Right. So, I, somehow, I came across this movie. It is from <laughs> 1974, so she's older. And it is actually a Spain, I believe, also USA and Ecuador production. 
<laughs> I think it's just Spain and U.S. and that, and then just filmed, and then filmed in Ecuador, in Ecuador. and we yeah. have like a, a sprinkling of actors that are also Ecuadorian in it yes. as well. But they're not, they're not leads. They're just little yeah, they're side, side babies. Characters. So you know, we are pushing. Our rules, we are bending them a lot, but yeah. you know, it's in the effort to showcase Ecuador. Absolutely. And you know, one of our things is if it's filmed in a Latin American country, we will talk about this movie. And like, I, right. I found a poster that I sent to you that was like the triumph of Guayaquil, where this was filmed in Ecuador. So, like, apparently back in the day, this was like a big deal for Ecuador. Yeah. So, we're going to fucking talk about it today. Do you have a synopsis for us? <laughs> I sure do. Okay. Uh, thank you, IMDb, for giving us information about piles of shit like this film. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, El Pantano de los Cuervos. There is a doctor who believes death is not the end and will go to any lengths to prove that. <laughs> All right, so let's fucking talk about this movie, El Pantano de los Cuervos, Ecuador, USA, Spain, 1974. It was written by Santiago Moncada and directed by Manuel Caño. You ready? <laughs> Everybody, gird your loins. Here we go. Okay. Hold on to your butts. <laughs> A dead body is lowered by rope from... <laughs> Oh, no. Okay. Oh, and, no. <laughs> okay. Just with that, you haven't even finished the sentence. And I need to say, <laughs> cuando esta película empezó, I was like, oh, we are, it's, we're just in it. In it. We're literally seeing a man being lowered in the rain. Yes. And you're just like, what's happening? Here we are. Here we are. Yeah. We are dropped into this. Like this dead body. Yes. So a dead body is lowered by rope from the roof of a building to the alley below where a 70s style hairdo man waits in the rain. So this man is Dr. Frosta. He grabs the body, he puts it into the back of a van, and off he goes in the van. He's very handsome. Oh, he's very, very handsome. The hair is gorgeous, bad cut. I actually, I'm going to go ahead and say... You enjoyed the cut? I did not mind this cut. Look at the turn of events here. Look at the <laughs> turn of events. Because I now I'm like, bad cut. Gorgeous hair, but bad cut. And Eileen's like, not feeling it. Great hair. <laughs> decent cut. I wouldn't say this is my favorite hairdo. Mm -hmm. But I think it was good for his face frame. Very long face. Yes. Beautiful eyes. Yes. Gorgeous like a, lips. A very feathered, like he, it's it's a classic 70s look that he is carrying. Oh. And I think it works. He's a pleasure to look at through the film. Too bad he's a fucking terrible asshole. Asshole. <laughs> oh. Wow. And, yeah. Okay. And he's who we're spending this whole movie with. So All of this movie. <laughs> the entire film. So Dr. Frosta is in the back of the van. He's not driving it. He, somebody else is driving. We don't know who, but he's in the back of the van with this dead body. 
He pulls out a stethoscope. This word is so hard for me to say. It's always stethoscope. Been. Yeah. So we're like, okay, he's a doctor of some sort, sure. And he listens for a heartbeat on this dead body. He doesn't hear it. So this this motherfucker's dead. So Froster pulls out a syringe and he injects the dead body with the red serum. He sets a timer on his watch and he waits. And then we cut to Frosta in a flashback. He's like, his hair is shorter. He's wearing he's in a, a suit. suit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it seems he's being like questioned or reviewed by like his medical peers. Or interviewed or yeah. Aluasi. They're questioning si. him. We never see the people who are questioning him. We just see him. It's a black room he's sitting in the middle of. We're just looking at him and hearing all these voices being like, Dr. Frosta, what do you think is... Oh, science and nucleic acid. Okay. The language, like the words these motherfuckers are saying, I'm like, if I was sitting in the audience of this film in 1970, whatever the fuck, and listening to like, well, phosphates and magnesium and the discombobulating, I'd be like, ¿Qué, ¿de qué putas estás hablando, brother? So, okay, so these off-screen voices that are questioning Frosta, they say, we've reviewed your doctoral thesis about genetic structures and nucleic acids, and right here I just wrote, (laughs) huh? (laughs) (laughs) Nucleic acids. Dude. And so they ask him questions, and we find out, this is, these are the important things here that I pulled from this. Yeah. He's been attempting genetic mutations for more than two years. He works alone on his studies because he and a former partner who apparently was a doctor with a higher ranking than him disagreed with his studies because they went against all human, scientific and divine law, which I was like, "Uh oh, that's not good. Yeah, that's bad. And most importantly, we find out that he thinks that death is not an irreversible fact. And that for approximately eight minutes post-death, things still happen in the body. Right. Which is what we understand as we're seeing him in the back of this truck with this dead body. This is why he has his watch on and he's got his timer and he's like... That red serum. Stethoscoping and all that shit. And to be clear, the dead body that he, you know, retrieved from the rope from the (laughs) roof and everything, like, it's bloody. Like, there's blood around the ear and the neck. So it seems that the death, whatever happened to this man, happened recently. Yeah. So the committee questioning him then says to him, so to prove this whole eight-minute post-death theory, you are requesting authorization to handle bodies whose deaths have occurred no more than eight minutes before. And Frost is like, yes, that is correct. And the committee is like, cool, thanks. We've unanimously decided to deny your request to experiment on human cadavers. And furthermore, we warn you that if you continue to do this work, Pero Frost cuts them off. And he says, you're all wrong, you clinical bureaucrats. Nothing <laughs> will stand in my way. No one will stop me. So we're getting very, like, mad doctor vibes from fucking Dr. Frosta. Yeah. And then we're back in the van in our time. Frosta again tries his stethoscope on the dead body, quote unquote dead body, and he does hear a faint heartbeat. And then all of a sudden, this dead body pops up screaming. Ah! This man is alive. (laughs) (laughs) 
I was like, oh, he did it. You did it, Frost. Uh, we got our title <laughs> card, The Swamp of the Ravens. And uh, we got our credits. We see shots of ravens flying around slash buzzards. Okay, let's point out right now. Yeah, ravens? There is nary a raven in sight of this film. Yeah. Not a single one. The birds that we do get are vultures slash buzzards. They're buitres. They're like... Yeah, they're buitres all yeah. over the place. Todas partes. Ningún raven anywhere. I didn't see one. And also, we hear like real funkies, kind of like 70s psychedelic style music throughout this film. The music in this film, Jonathan. <laughs> the music in this film. Oh, We've no. had some crazy music. I think this is one of the top crazy musics. Weirded me out. Yeah. No es que la música sea mala. No, no. It doesn't match what we're seeing and doing. It doesn't fit. There were so many moments throughout this movie. First of all, let me establish here. Wasn't scared for a moment in this film. Oh, And God, there no. were moments that I thought to myself, if this music wasn't playing, I might be a little bit creeped out. Agreed. So credits are over. We're out in the country where these buzzards are flying around and we see a wooden cabin. Which, by the way, this is Frosta's lab. I called it mm -hmm. the cabin lab. All right. Cool. This cabin lab is on stilts. It's near a swamp. And we see Frosta walking to his car. But behind him, from the cabin lab, a figure emerges holding a dead body. This figure I called Igor. Because this is fucking Igor to Dr. Frosta's Frankenstein. Absolutely. You know I mean? This is his Igor. Yes. So Igor walks into the swamp and places a woman's dead body into the water and she sinks below the surface. And we very quickly get a shot of Igor's face and this motherfucker's eyes are like... The eyes! Silver. Uy. It's weird. I wrote, uy, eso ojo. Yeah, no. they were creepy. And then meanwhile, Frosta gets into his car and he drives to the lab where he works. Okay, so let's just differentiate. There is work lab, which is like in the city. Other doctors are there. Science shit. Science so shit. <laughs> Frosta's got his like cabin lab. And then there's work lab. So outside the work lab, he <laughs> sees an unhoused man with a disfigured face playing a pan flute. And I call this man pan flute. I called him Freddy Krueger with a pan flute. <laughs> totally. He looks like Freddy Krueger. And the pan flute to me sounds like an Atari. Like, oh, it's it just is like, a keyboard. Beep, <laughs> beep, beep. Boop, boop. Do, do, beep. Do, 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 do. It might as well be playing the Mario theme song. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Boop. <laughs> so Frosta drops a note in front of pan flute that says, I can cure you. Come to see me tonight at the old house in the swamp. <laughs> did you notice? Absolutely, I did. Where it was, tonight, tonight was spelled T O N I G T H, Tunigd. <laughs> yeah, tunigd. so I can hear you. Come to see me, Tunigd, at the old house in the swamp. <laughs> tunigd. So in his work lab, Frosta does some fucking science stuff when in comes Dr. Moore, who is this sassy kind of like older lady, I'll say. She's Annie Potts. She looked like oh. Annie Potts to me. 
<laughs> yeah. N- not Ghostbusters Annie Potts, like designing women Annie Potts. Absolutely. <laughs> Dude. Ghostbusters, what do you want? <laughs> I fucking love Annie Potts. I love Annie fucking Potts, dude. Come on. So... Dr. Moore slash Annie Potts. She's kind of like a sassy <laughs> older lady. And she, not older. She's like, no. I'd say middle aged pushing. Yeah, yeah. And she's all to Dr. Frost. Don't forget to put away the samples and lock the safe because you've forgotten this before. Good night. So she leaves and Frost goes over to the safe, which he opens. And from the safe, he takes out a little like medicine vial looking thing. And he scoops out some white powder that looks like fucking cocaine. It's not cocaine. And he's also putting it onto a piece of paper and folding it up, which is like how you like deliver (laughs) cocaine to people. Oh, my God. Yeah. So he scoops it out. It's whatever the fuck it is. It's some white powder. He puts it on the paper, like you said, and he's like folding it up to take it with him. But he is caught by this weirdo ass doctor, Dr. Crozier, who is all ha. I caught you. But then Crozier doesn't do anything. He's just like fucking around with him. And this is not important, but I just need to include this line that Dr. Crozier says to him. Yeah, say it. Crozier is like, you know, he comes up to Frost and he's like, I was just playing with you, whatever. Take the fucking drugs. I don't care, basically. (laughs) Yeah, this guy, he's the bumbling fool of this movie. He's supposed to be like the comedic relief. And And he he is not. Fails miserably. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So here, Dr. Crozier says to Dr. Frost, why does Dr. Moore hate you? Dr. Moore being, you know. Annie Potts. Annie Potts. <laughs> and he says, it's probably because you tried to take advantage of her. Or if you haven't, I suggest you do because I think she wants it. Bro, what? This taking advantage conversation? Oh, boy. This is supposed to be funny. Uh, yeah. First of all, this conversation in the workplace, bro, immediately fired. Fired. <laughs> fired. HR would be in there so fucking fast. God damn. And if you ever have somebody who talks to you this way, report their ass. Yes. Oh, my God. Okay. So whatever. This horrible (laughs) conversation happens. And basically what we're learning here is that Frosta has been stealing like medical goods. From his job job. Yes. To take that to his cabin lab. To the cabin lab. Yes. Yeah. We then see Frost to drive to an apartment building where he goes into the building into his girlfriend Simone's apartment. Uh, like reluctant girlfriend, I will say. Oh, Simone is Oof. not happy. Oh, I mean, how could you be with this fucking asshole? Also, Simone is so beautiful. I was like, how have I never seen this actress before? She gave me so 70s, too. Oh, my God. So 70s. But she gave me like very, very slight Linda Blair vibes. It was the nose for Mm -hmm. me, I think. Oh, my God. Also, just to point out at this when we meet Simone, she's sitting in a rocking chair facing this like beautiful view of like a bay or a harbor. Mm. It's like water and it's like huge windows. It's very beautiful. And I was like, oh, what a dream to live in this. Whatever the hell this is, this like studio apartment in front of the the huge windows overlooking this gorgeous body of water. This that's a good point that throughout this 
fucking terrible movie, you do get some really gorgeous shots of what I, I assume it's all in Guayaquil. So you get yeah. beautiful shots of the city, these beautiful like water shots, countryside shots. It's really actually quite beautiful. But it's a piece of shit. It's just a piece <laughs> of shit. So Simone is sitting in a rocking chair, rocking by these huge windows, and El Frosta gets all close to her. And when he gets close to her, she says, please, not tonight. So Frosta forcefully grabs her and says, I don't like you to resist me. But if you want to resist, go ahead. I'll handle you. I love you, my darling. And I just wrote here, fuck, fuck you. you. <laughs> fuck you, dude. Fuck this you. This is so gross. And she is like bunched up. She doesn't want to be touched by him. It's it's awful. He's awful. We then cut to shots of buzzards and we hear Frosta post-sex <laughs> with Simone reciting poetry. He says here, oh boy, take your beak out of my heart. And don't leave one black feather. Your eyes are those of a green demon. And I ask, tell me, bird or demon, is there any hope for me? And you respond, never, never. What Cuando yo te digo que yo estaba sentada en mi silla y viendo esta película, and I was like, what? fuck just happened y el parado en la ventana again we see this beautiful view and he when he said take your beak out of my heart and don't leave one black feather i was like oh oh so what what's <laughs> happening what what so I believe this is supposed to be Edgar Allan Poe. The Raven? Yeah. Yes. So I looked it up. I didn't find these specific lines in there. <laughs> I couldn't find this. Maybe this is like a rough translation. Okay. Have you ever seen those videos online where people will take a phrase in English translate it into like put it through google uh translate and they'll translate it into another language and uh -huh. then they'll take that sentence that has just been translated and translate it again to english <gasps> a bunch of times to see how crazy it gets no i have not seen that i wonder if maybe in España agarraron su versión de Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven and then whoever was translating for this movie didn't realize that that's what it was and then they translated it on their own and then they <laughs> there's like here's your script it's like a game of telephone with the fucking the raven absolutely just <laughs> to also establish what a fucking douche this man is oh, that he is standing there shirtless. God. Post sex with this lady, poorly quoting the rape. I I was just like the irritation in my gut that vibrated throughout my body. I was just so Can you imagine? Dude, if I ever was with a man, like if I ever slept with a dude and then afterwards he stood up, walked over to my window and was like Hath thou given me? I would be like, please leave. I've made a huge mistake. I've made, I've a, made huge a huge mistake. mistake. No sé si es 
because we're cynics and not romantic or anything, but it reminds me of that. That's not fucking romantic. No, that's no. just no, no. It's terrible. <laughs> it reminds me of that episode of Sex in the City where Carrie is hooking up with the Russian and he like wrote her a poem. And then the next day she goes to her girls and she's like, um, he wrote me a poem. La and I was like, oh, gross. <laughs> You're right. You're totally right. Oh, God. Anyway, so these two continue to have a very dramatic and annoying post-sex conversation. And Simone says here, when I met you, Frosta, I was with another man. And then we get a flashback of her at a party (laughs) dancing with this other man. This dude is Richard, this man that Simone is dancing with in her flashback. They're dancing face to face while a band plays. You are mine, my love, and I will love you forever. So the band is playing a song as interpreted by Eileen Clark. (laughs) You are mine. But the thing that's so fucking weird about it is that, you know, okay, so Eileen's up there singing her song. And um, Richard is repeating the lyrics, saying it back. But when I tell you he is like whisper breathing these lyrics into her open mouth. It's so weird. You are mine. You are mine. Magic of the heavens. heavens. (laughs) Oh, God. I, my eyes were wide as plates. And I, I just wrote in all caps here. This is so fucking weird. I wrote, what is this flashback? Yo estaba boca abierta. Abierta. Oh, my God. Fully. (laughs) Fully. So anyway, so Simone and Richard just breathing into each other's nostrils seem very (laughs) in love. And then at this same party where this band is playing and, you know, Simone and Richard are dancing, we see Frosta in the corner watching them dance. And then all of a sudden, Frosta is sitting at their fucking table at this party. And he's just staring at Simone, like the creepiest creep that has ever creeped. Yeah. So Richard, being like, this is fucked up, just gets up and walks away. And then we hear Simone's voiceover say... I knew everything was going to change, so I left my career and I let Richard go. And then we're back with Frosta and Simone in bed, and she tells him, by the way, Richard is back in town. He's at the Zanzibar. He's at the (laughs) Zanzibar. And she says, I'm really unhappy with you and actually afraid of you, Frosta. I want to go back to Richard. So Frosta says here, Buzzard said never, never. This what movie. is that? I don't know, dude. I literally was like, when I tell you, my face went it back and forth from la boca, like jaw on the floor, like loosely <laughs> open, and then my brow like furrowing so deep, and then just like a brows up to my fucking <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like super wide open. Like it was like it was crazy. Like the thing, the thing with this movie is like. I can't recommend it because it's a steaming pile of shit. But also I'm like, you, you have must to see watch this to movie it. to yeah. believe it. 
I mean, it's on Tubi, everybody. It's because it's so old. It's probably yeah. on YouTube and all that. Probably. Shit. Yeah. And they did it not to do trivia so early, but they did it as on like um mystery science theater 3000 there's like a, oh. there's something there's a riff tracks i believe which they have on 2b2 so they have the oh, version that cool. we watched and then they wow. have the version of the of a bunch of people just shitting all over it as they watch it yeah amazing so. we should have watched that one instead i know right <laughs> So Frost is all, Buzzard said, never, never. And I was so, conf- so confused. And me Simone too. says to him, what are you going to do? Kill me? Then I wouldn't be with you. And Frost stares into the camera and says, <laughs> you're wrong. I could do it. And I was like, what? What What are you, what? What are you talking weirdo. about? What a weirdo. Ew. Why are yeah. you looking at us? I don't know what's happening. <laughs> uh, okay. So we cut to Frost's house by the swamp and Pan Flute has come to see him because remember that note, come see me tonight. And um, <laughs> and so inside Frost inspects Pan Flute's face because, you know, he's all Freddy Krueger. Yeah. And he tells him, he tells fucking Pan Flute, he's like, you've got leprosy, but I can cure you. But here he also asks him, do you have any family? Which I was like, hmm. Mm-hmm. That's sneaky, sneaky sneaks. Classic. Uh, let me make sure no one knows that you're you'll go missing. Yeah, nobody's gonna miss you. But then Igor comes in, but Frost <laughs> gives him a look, telling him to go. But the way that this is shot, when <laughs> Igor comes in, Igor opens the door and it blocks Pan Flute from our view, Freddie. Yeah. And then when Igor leaves and closes the door, Pan Flute is gone. So Frosta gets up and he looks out the window and we see Pan Flute running away. But I was so confused <laughs> here because there are bars on the window. So I thought, how did he get out? Honestly, I'm going to admit to you, we were still like early enough in the movie that I was like, is Pan Flute a magical being? Is that what's going on? Okay, so I was like, <laughs> where did he go? Like, I, I laughed so hard when it was like, door cover him, door close, and Bye. he's disappeared. And I was like, hilarious, what the fuck? But then I also was like, but where? And the only explanation, I was like, oh, he's probably going to be some sort of like... Wizard. Wizardy, magical person that is like... No, I don't want to be cured by this mad scientist or whatever. Or like he. That's not the case. He is not a magical wizard whatsoever. He just somehow. Somehow escapes. Got outside. And that's <laughs> next thing we know. Frost is looking out the window and Pan Flute is running away. Yeah. And then all of a sudden. Who is this out man? In the swamp. <laughs> Who is this man, Jonathan? Pan Flute is being chased by a weird man with a with crutch a- wearing a poncho. And I, his name is Poncho. Okay. So Poncho, who also seems to be unhoused. Yeah. So he explains, Poncho explains that Pan Flute apparently promised to buy Poncho a drink if he came with him to Frost's house. This is what I deduce from this situation. So Pan Flute was like, hey, Poncho, my fellow, you know, unhoused person. Yeah. I've been asked to go to Frost's house. Tunique. I am wary of the situation. Tunique. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so come with me. 
yeah. either for protection or just to keep an eye out. I'll buy you a drink if you do, which also I'm just going to establish here right now. It seems that the unhoused population of Guayaquil or whatever town this is supposed to be here is getting picked off. Uh-huh. And not everybody knows that, but they clearly know that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm assuming is going on here. Agreed. So Pan Flute is all, Pancho, leave me alone. Get the fuck out of here. He hands Pancho some cash and then Pan Flute pulls out a knife and stabs himself in the gut. Why? I, girl, when Frosta says, hey, buddy, you got fucking leprosy. Freddie Pan Flute is like, listen, I know what you're going to do. You're going to turn me into the authorities because having leprosy back then was like not cool. And so he's like, turn me into the authorities. They're going to put me in an institution and I'm never going to see the light of day again. And so to him, he's like, I'd rather be dead than to be, you know, isolated somewhere. So he fucking stabs himself in the gut. And so, of course, Poncho freaks out and he drags (laughs) Pan Flute back to Frost's house and he's banging on the door and inside, we see that Frosta is looking at pictures of pan flute. So at least to me, it seems that Frosta had been stalking pan sure. flute. Sure, yeah. And so when Frosta hears the banging, he opens the door, he gives Poncho some money, and he tells him, get out of here and don't tell anyone about what happened. Igor then picks up pan flute's body and follows Frosta to his cabin lab by the swamp. And inside the cabin lab, we see jars filled with, with fetuses. fetuses these are real right am i am i crazy i mean i was like i don't trust this film not to have that <laughs> not to not have. especially from the 70s i'm like yeah. that shit is real and that's something know. about watching these movies that i'm like oh god what are we gonna see that's they just didn't have that sensor you know yeah or they were like, well, this is what we'll use. Well, to make it look as authentic as possible, we'll do the real thing. Oh, boy. And we also see that he has some caged buzzards and a poor little caged monkey in there. So Frosta checks Pan Flute for a heartbeat, pero nada. So he injects Pan Flute with that same red serum that we saw earlier. Also, did you see here... The heart? Oh, yes, the heart. Girl... What was that? I honestly do not have an answer for that. I think I do, but it's going to come a little bit later on. Okay. We'll come back to the... When we talk... When we we say heart, we literally mean like outside of a body in just hanging out. It looks like it's on like a a stick or something. (laughs) It's like a little pedestal, it seems. It's like on display. Yeah, it's like a tube or something. It looks like a, if it had been gold, it looks like a fucking trophy, it looks like. Congratulations. Here's a heart. Here's your heart. (laughs) Well, well, let's come back to this because I was like, why? Then (laughs) all of a sudden we're at a concert where Richard, the ex-lover from that flashback. This is not a flashback, though. We're at this concert where Richard, performing live for like a paying audience, is singing at Zanzibar. (laughs) At Zanzibar, the hottest club in town. He's singing to a mannequin. Have you ever seen Lars and the Real Girl? Is that what it's called? No, no. Yes, um, that's what it's called with um, Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling. Before he was a hottie, when he was still like kind of a plain looking dude. This mannequin looks like that to me. I was like, no. (laughs) 
<laughs> First of all, why? Why? Why yeah. are you singing? And the mannequin is sitting on the stage, like he is like la 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 la. Well, he's singing to the mannequin. My own robot. <laughs> it sounded like, um, like a rhinestone cowboy. <laughs> totally, dude. Totally. But please, you have the lyrics. Oh no, I have the song. I'm just gonna oh, play it. I okay, just, great. I'm gonna yes. play it. I think we have to. I'm just gonna play this. Let me turn it up, everybody, because <laughs> I want you to hear it. I just want you to hear it. Okay, here we go. What the my own robot, my, <laughs> my own, own my, my lady. lady. <laughs> That's the song. Esta otra parte que yo estaba sentada en mi silla viendo esta fucking película, boca abierta, brother. <laughs> like jaw to the ground. I was so confused about this. I mean, because it's just so strange, so weird. Again. Gotta see it to believe it. My own robot. So uh, fucking Richard is there singing this to this mannequin, my own robot, whatever the fuck. And Simone is there watching him sing. Now, I was like, the mannequin has a Simone look to it. So I was like, is the mannequin meant to be Simone? Oh, dude, totally. Absolutely. I didn't put that together. Yes. And also that just puts something, puts another thing in my head that this song is about like my own robot, my love, my lady, which we'll get to later in this movie. I think that all ties together. But my brain was like, I can't handle this. So now that we're talking it through, I'm like, oh, it makes sense. Yeah. Mannequin that looks like La Simone. A robot. We'll get to what happens to Simone later. Spoiler alert, it's not good. So My uh... own, my lady. (laughs) Okay, so he finishes his song and people fucking love it. Like, it's a standing O. He gets a standing O. Oh, dude. People fucking love it. (laughs) So Richard grabs the mannequin, he bows, and off he goes. And Simone finds him and tearily asks him to forgive her. And he says... Don't ever leave me again. So they have reunited. They're in love. We're back at Frost's cabin lab and Pan Flute's heartbeat has come back, but it slowly fades out. So he is he's dead. That Mm -hmm. experiment, the red serum, whatever the injection didn't didn't work. So Igor saws up the body into pieces. And as he is carrying the body parts in the bag into the swamp, Pan Flute's hand (laughs) Just plops out of the sack onto the ground and we see a buzzard start pecking at that hand. So we're like, oh, that buzzard took that fucking hand. Cut to a soccer game. There's kids playing soccer everywhere. Kick the ball, kick the ball. They're having a great time. And one of the kids kicks the ball astray. And when he goes to retrieve the ball, he finds fucking Pan Flute's hand where a buzzard must have just dropped it at some point. We then cut to a mustachioed detective. This is what I called this man through the whole fucking movie. He's the sheriff of the town. But he's mustache. Mustache detective. This is who this is. So he's having (laughs) breakfast when plop, someone drops the rotten hand, fucking pan flute's hand right in front of him while he's eating. Listen, 
I know it's 1974, 1972, whatever the Uh hell. First of all, this is another police person depositing a clue on the table for something that is going on in this town. And here's like, not only that, it's a severed hand. And he's like, hey, sheriff, the mustachio detective, here's a fucking rotting hand plop right in front of his like eggs and sausage. Not in a bag. No, nada. Así abierta. (laughs) In front of his eggs and sausage. And my dude is still like dipping his toast in the yolk and being like, well, this is very disgusting. And then he prods at it with the end of his fork. And I'm like, you guys, you call yourselves detectives? You call yourselves police officers? Get the fuck out of here. Disgusting. Mustache detective says, ah. First, it was a human eye, then it was a human brain, then an ear, now this hand. Who the hell is doing this? So we're like, oh, they've been finding body parts just laying about town. So his partner, he's got his partner there, his detective partner, and he's like, well, there haven't been any reports of any missing people, which that caught my attention. I was like, hmm, that's Mm. interesting. Yeah. And so it's a little while later and we see mustache detective getting his shoes shined in a town square. It's very lovely. His partner is standing nearby. Did you notice that this shoe shine, he was shining it with a bare hand? His hands. No rag. (laughs) Hands. Just just with his hands. I was like, how is this this a good shoe shine? Oh. That's how the mustache detective likes it. No rag. Your bare hands, your bare hands, kid. So mustache detective says there are 10,000 beggars in this town and every day six or seven go missing, which I was like, oh, that's fucked up. Fucked up. But then he gets distracted by three women walking by, (laughs) which is a recurring theme throughout this movie. Every time he is on screen, a woman goes by and he's like, whoa, look at them legs. Whoa, look at them titties. Like You never see what the women look like. It's literally just either like a close-up of like crotch or ass or tits. Like it's never <laughs> her face. Nope. These aren't people. They're just bodies, basically. It's fucked. And I was like, in 74, is this just supposed to be a joke? Or are you trying to tell me, filmmakers, that this man is very bad at his job? Because that's what I'm getting. That he's just fucking bad at his job. It might be both. It might be, haha, look, the reason why he's bad at his job is because he's constantly distracted by the ladies. You know what I mean? And it's like, if there are six people disappearing every day, every day, bro, you're bad at your job. You're terrible at your (laughs) job. So his partner's like, hey, snap out of it, you fucking pervert. And he says, let's search the hospitals and the clinics, you know, places where you can find body parts. Okay. What the fuck? We cut to Frosta arriving at his work lab and he buys some flowers from a flower vendor lady. So in the work lab, he gives Dr. Moore slash Annie Potts the flowers and he tries to make small talk with her, but she is not having it. She's like, I know that you were discharged from your two past jobs from two research institutes before you came here. So shut it. Let's get back to work. We have to look at these drafts that were sent by the police. She says that these drafts have to do with Pan Flute's hand, 
So it seems that they either have like the hand or some genetic material from pan flute in the work lab now. At least that's what I'm gathering here. And we also find out that she has changed the combination to the safe where he stole that white powder before. So in my mind, I was like, oh, okay, she's on to him. She knows he's been stealing shit. Frosta then goes to Simone's apartment, but instead of finding her rocking in her rocking chair as usual, it's Richard's mannequin. (laughs) He has a full conversation with the mannequin before realizing she's not there. I had my hand (laughs) to my forehead just like, you fucking idiot. And the worst part of it that he was, he was like, life is so hard. My job is so exhausting. Nobody understands like how exhausting it is to be so genius. Fuck off. Fuck off, you fucking dick. (laughs) So finally, five hours later, he discovers that it's a mannequin. And on the mannequin's lap (laughs) is a tape recorder, which he plays. And on the tape recorder, Simone has recorded herself. She says, Frosta, I'm leaving for New York with Richard. I never loved you. I was afraid of you. And I thought here, girl, why did you leave this for him? You did not need to say a goddamn thing. The mannequin was enough. Fuck you. Here's a plastic version of me. <laughs> Which is what you wanted in the first place. So Exactly. We cut to the airport and a very nervous Simone and Richard wait for their plane. And there's announced there's like an airport announcement that there's an urgent phone call which Simone, she assumes that that's Frosta calling her, which I was like, I don't get it, but sure. (laughs) Sure. So Richard's like, calmate, I'll go check it out. Let me go see. So now alone, of course, Simone is approached by Frosta and he's like, you cannot leave me. And they struggle and no one does a goddamn thing. So she runs off. She goes to a storage room and she hides. This actually really creeped me out. This was scary. Yeah. And then bam, Frosta pops out. And he grabs her. Cut to Frosta's cabin lab by the swamp. Frosta straps Simone down onto a gurney. But then he hears a pan flute playing outside. So he's like, what the fuck? He goes outside to check it out and he finds Poncho. Poncho has come back playing his fucking pan flute now. I guess everybody's playing pan flutes in this town. And he's like, I'm here to check on pan flute. (laughs) Also, this guy's voice or the ADR that they gave him, whoever covered his voice was like, oh, mister, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was so manic and crazy. I was like, I can't handle you right now. So I found an undubbed version online. Pero it was cut up. So I was like, uh-huh. fuck it, we'll just watch the Tubi version. And it's the same, but it's more like, oh, you're so young, you know, like, and also this dude is like 22, but he's, they've aged oh, him to be like. Oh my God. They don't even <laughs> age him. They give him a scar on his face and he's like, I'm an old man. I can't. <laughs> it's like, you are 30 years old, sir. Mm-hmm. Like, there is no way. Ridiculous. I must say, I did like the makeup on Pan Flute's Freddy Krueger face. Yeah. And also what they did to Poncho's face. They, like, pulled down his lower lid. Yes. His eye is pulled down. Ew. His lip is kind of pulled up. It was fucked. It was, it it was, was pretty good. good. So Poncho's all like, I have... <laughs> And stop. So <laughs> he's like, I've come back to check on Pan Flute, but Frosta starts to threaten him. And so he just gives him some money. So Poncho leaves. 
And then we're back in the cabin lab and fucking Igor is trying to smooch on poor Simone. Dude, Igor. But then Frosta comes in, he grabs Igor, he throws him to the ground, he begins to whip him. And then Frosta turns to Simone. And when he kisses her, she wakes up. And she's like struggling against her binds. And Frosta says to her, you'll need a lot of blood. What? Dude, this is when I was like, what is going on? I was like, is she dying? When he captured her at the airport, did he hurt her? Like, is she mortally wounded? What's going on here? I don't fucking get it. I don't get it either. We then cut to two sex workers walking the streets in the early morning. They say bye to each other, bye girl. And as one walks away, she sees a black cat and a buzzard, which she takes as a bad sign. So she kicks this cat. She fucking kicks it. (laughs) And then she says, this, fuck, this line to the buzzard. She goes, where did you come from, bird? (laughs) (laughs) She swats the buzzard with her purse and she spills the contents of her purse onto the street. So as she's picking up her lipstick and cigarettes and stuff, Akibian and Frosta, he approaches her and he lights her cigarette. And she, you know, she assumes, oh, a cliente, perhaps. Uh Uh-huh. But we are to understand that Frosta has been kidnapping and murdering sex workers, or he's about to begin. We get a smash cut to her dead Dead. on the fucking, uh, on a gurney. And the doctor, or the same, like, detective... Uh, doctor man, the one that dropped the disgusting hand on the detective's table, is like somebody's draining these women of all their blood a vampire kind of situation. She was a Puerto Rican prostitute and she just passed her medical exam. Oh? Is what they said. I was like, how did they know that she just passed her medical exam? I think it's so sad. I'm like, God damn. Also, good for you, girl. (laughs) Oh, no. Okay, so the partner who is there with the mustachio detective and the doctor is like, well, maybe the body parts and this dead sex worker are connected. And then Mustachio Detective says, well, it's unlikely that there are two killers working at the same time in our small city. And also, the blood type of the victims was the same. So our killer is probably a doctor or a biologist. So we cut to the work lab and Dr. Moore, sassy Annie Potts, seems to be trying to be a bit nicer to Dr. Frosta. Right. And she's all, oh, I read some of your past articles about all that science bullshit. And I think (laughs) you must continue with your studies. And by the way, the combination of the safe is the same that it was. And I've asked for a delay on my inventory. So all of a sudden she's like, I read your articles. I think you're on to something. Get back in that safe. Keep stealing those samples and there's nobody who's going to be. Keep stealing that cocaine. Yeah, nobody's going to check the inventory for some time. So Inventory? Inventory, yeah. <laughs> the inventory. <laughs> nobody's checking the inventory. So have at it. Take what yeah. you need. Okay? Yeah. And Frost is like, great. Let's go get some tea. Cut to them having tea in this gorgeous, beautiful, beautiful cafe overlooking the water. And basically, Dr. Moore says she wants to help Frosta because she still dreams of a great discovery. Like, she's bored with her work. She still 
wants something wonderful to happen in her world of science, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then Frosta starts to butter some toast for her. And when she reaches <laughs> out to grab for the toast, he accidentally, quote unquote, slices her thumb with a butter knife and begins to help her clean the blood. Cut to him at his cabin lab by the swamp, testing Dr. Moore's blood from that fucking butter knife. So he cut her on purpose. Sure. And apparently it's the same blood type that he needs to give Simone. Again, I wrote here, what's happening? (laughs) Is she dying? What's, why? And as he is staring at Simone's bare breasts, he begins to hear howls coming from the swamp outside. Before you continue, he like rips open her shirt and he's like, ah, yes, you'll be perfect. I'll have you forever and you'll be perfect, which is what I think this collection of blood is going to be for. I think this ties back to our pin about the robot song. Uh I think we have yet another step to go before we put it all together. But I think Mm -hmm. that is an important thing to establish that he's like, Look at your boobs. Look at you. <laughs> You're perfect. You will be perfect. Perfect. You will perfect, be perfect. perfect. You'll be mine. You'll be perfect. Forever. Because again, I think we're still using this whole like death isn't the final curtain kind of uh, situation. So he hears these howls coming from outside in the swamp. Hmm. So he goes out into the swamp to check it out and he sees a bunch of dead heads popping out from the swamp water, staring at him. I like this. This is cool. Yeah. This was another thing, though, where, like, it's like, (laughs) and I was like, cut the fucking music. Why is Prince here fully, like, doing a fucking jam sesh? We're looking at this serial killer's copious amount of bodies that he's been dumping in the swamps. They're looking at him. Yes, they're all pale face and dead. You fucking see Freddy there. Pan flute looks scary. Yeah, his eyeball is like out. It's so gross. And they do kind of like right when we see it, they do kind of cut the music down and it's more like eerie. But I was just like, why with like prefacing it with this like guitar solo? It's fucking George Clinton here. Just like (laughs) fucking (laughs) playing the bass. Oh, my God. Okay, so. We realize, oh, these are all of his victims and they're looking at him. And then all of a sudden, from where? Who knows? Here comes Poncho again, just traipsing through the swamp. Este fucking brother. <laughs> Dude, where did you come from? Where do you live? Who are you? So Poncho comes up and he's all, please be careful. The police have been at, not please, he's like, be careful, because the police have been asking questions. But Ofrasta forces Poncho into the swamp where Poncho is unfortunately attacked by dead pan flute. And I liked this. Like the way that it's choreographed is <laughs> Freddie Panflute is mm-hmm. like up to his chin in the water. But from what we understand, he's been cut up into pieces. Yes. So then the hand pops out and grabs Poncho by the throat. And it looks like he still is intact. And then Poncho kind of like gets up from the water and the hand, it's just the hand holding onto his throat, legit choking him to death. Yeah. And like the 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 moment my brain was like, oh, wait, 
that body's in pieces, so that hand's not connected anymore. Like, actually, I was like, oh, that's chilling. That's really fucked up. So Pan Flute's dismembered hand fucking chokes. Kills Poncho. Poncho. Cut to an actual dude fucking autopsy. The minute you officially realize, like, oh, that's an actual human corpse getting sliced open and he's like and slice down the middle and we're gonna lift the skin from the fucking bones and fat and whatever and spread that open and he lifts the sternum uh, he cuts down the bone and pull it's legit spatchcocking a human being is what's happening absolutely and i think he like grabs a lung, the lung and shows the lung. It, it literally like jiggle jangles. I wrote in Shocking. all caps, how is this okay? Esto es lo que yo pienso, okay? Which I think goes along with the story of like the actual doctor story. Because I read somewhere where they had said that Frosta had been denied being able to do this like his experiments on people in like Europe or wherever the fuck he was. Yeah. He's been traveling around trying to like find a place that's like, yes, do it. Go ahead. And he decides I'll go to Latin America to do it there where nobody will give a shit about the people there. And I'll do my experiments. A already fucked. But also I think in the more like in our real life, we're filming a film in Ecuador. They went to a place where maybe their laws on cadavers aren't as strict or anything like that. And they said, mira, podemos filmarte abrir este fucking cuerpo, por favor. And they're like, sure, why not? I think that's exactly what happened. That's what it feels like, at least. We then cut to just seeing two dismembered Hands being inspected by mustache detective and a doctor. Okay, this is real science. He says, the doctor says, the hands match, but they are two right hands. And everybody's confused as fuck, including me. But what I'm deducing here is, is that this is Frosta's genetic experiments. He was able to genetically reproduce this very same hand. So this is just one of his many experiments. Or like he's pumped people with enough like bloods and things from other peoples and whatever that he's able to make them all seem like they're the same person. Absolutely. I am no scientist, but maybe that's possible. We then cut to Mustachio Detective and some backup cops and Richard's now there. He's joined this crew. Remember Richard, the mannequin crooner? (laughs) Simone's boyfriend, he's Uh, here. My love, my lady. (laughs) My own robot. So (laughs) they're all arriving at Frosta's work lab. So once they're all inside the work lab, Richard confronts Frosta and he's like, you've got Simone locked up somewhere. And Richard attacks Frosta, but he's dragged off by some cops and so it's hilarious to me because it's all, you know, dubbed. And whoever dubbed it, you know, he's getting pulled out of the room and he's like, I'll get you for this. I'll get you. I'll get you. I'll get you. I'll get you. <laughs> you notice that? You could hear the actor just be like, I'm trying to get you. 
Oh, hilarious. Oh, anyway, boy. so in this scene, fucking mustachio detective questions Frosta, a bunch of questions, whatever. Dr. Moore covers for him is basically what we're gathering here. Annie Potts. So it seems Dr. Moore, Annie Potts, um, Il Frosta are in cahoots. We're back in his cabin lab. Frosta injects Simone with some blood, but now she is dead. And he says to her, You are dead. You are dead. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. And then he has sex with her dead body. Okay. I, I, I. This is full necrophilia. Absolute necrophilia. It cuts back and forth between them rolling in bed in like in the past in their actual life and then cut to him like literally flopping over on top of her body after he has fucked her. He's covered in sweat. It's so disgusting. We then cut to Dr. Moore's house. She gets a call from Frosta and he tells her that he needs to meet up with her. So she's like, cool, you got it. But before she leaves to meet him, she suspiciously grabs a cigarette case. Hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to Dr. Croger's house where he is, remember fucking weird ass Dr. Croger? He is also awoken by a call from Frosta. Frosta tells Dr. Croger, I need you to come to my house in the swamp. We then see Dr. Moore pick up Frosta in her car, but in a nearby van, mustachioed detective and his crew are tracking Dr. Moore. So in Dr. Moore's car, Frost is like, hey, Dr. Moore, let me have a cigarette. And so he, she says no, she doesn't have any, but he takes her case and he opens it and it's full of cigarettes. And he notices here that her cigarette case is bugged, like tapped, you know? They're following her location. So he throws the cigarette case out the window and he says, don't you think I know that you and the sheriff, he said the sheriff. And I was like, oh, right. Mustachio detective <laughs> is the sheriff. <laughs> I knew you and the sheriff were working to, have been working together all along. And I wrote here. Oh, I didn't. I had no I idea. I absolutely no did not. Until this moment, I was like, oh, she's being tracked. But so basically here we understand. OK, she's been in cahoots. Yes, she wasn't in cahoots with Frosta. She's been in cahoots with Mustache Detective. With and that's fuzz. why she was like, the safe is open. So she's been basically been like, you know, trying to catch him in the act. So they drive off and then Mustachio Detective goes to the spot where the signal was lost. And he's like, fuck, he finds the cigarette case. And he's like, well, we now we have no choice but to go to Dr. Frosta's house in the swamp. Vamonos. Cut to Frosta's house by the swamp. Dr. Croger has arrived and he knocks on the door, but he's attacked by Igor, who karate Karate chops chops. the motherfucker. (laughs) Double karate chop, double karate on the shoulder blades. He's like, hiya, and uh, down he goes. (laughs) Out. Croger is out. And so cut to Dr. Croger coming to in Frosta's cabin lab, and we see Frosta and Dr. Moore timing Igor's heartbeat, which we can see pumping through Igor's chest. This actually didn't look that bad. His like little flap of skin that was going boop, 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 boop. Yeah. Okay, so this is where I'm going to bring some things together. Okay. Great, let's go. Yeah. Igor, I didn't realize until this part is the guy from the top. 
is the dead body from the top. Because remember, he gets up and screams. Yes. So that's like the successful bringing back from the body or or from the dead that Dr. Frosta has done. Mm -hmm. I think that the heart on the pedestal is actually fucking Igor's uh, Igor's heart. heart. And because oh. that's why it's sti- they, they show the heart pumping and then they show his little chest going boop, beep, boop, 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 I'm being. So I think somehow <laughs> through science, Dr. Yeah. Frosta has scooped out that heart and somehow kept it pumping from out from outside. In this scene, I didn't notice, but. Where we see Igor's chest going boop, 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 boop. Do you see the exposed heart nearby? Yes, it's right next to him Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I did go back. I did. I had a thought where I was like, is Igor the person from the top? So I went back and looked. and they did not? I'm I'm not sure because I was like they look different enough, different hairstyle right. that I was like maybe it's not, but it absolutely could be. It I think it might. Could be. I think it might be. Yeah. That the only question I have about that is who was driving the van and who lowered the body from the roof in the first place. So he's well, got we, accomplices. That is a plot hole that we will never be filled. Will never, we'll be, never filled. be filled. Oh no. boy. But I I totally buy that that initial body was Igor. Enough so that I was like, I went back and checked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it could be. And this is what I think. So this is we discover that basically Igor is a walking zombie. He has no purpose, no nothing except to serve fucking Dr. Frosta. So Mm -hmm. this is what he wants from Simone. He wants to turn her into a version of Igor where she can just do whatever he wants and be his dead fuck buddy. So, and that is the perfection he was talking about. That's the final pin living forever because she's Mm -hmm. already died. And there's like, Mm -hmm. you know, life after death kind of thing and being at his whim at all times because he's her quote unquote creator kind of thing. Although here I was like, why did the experiment work on Igor and not the others that he was injecting? That's the weird part that like, how come one person worked? Why wouldn't you keep your constant then? You're a bad scientist. You're a bad scientist then. Again, unfillable plot hole. Just terrible, (laughs) terrible plot hole. Okay, so (laughs) so Dr. Moore is all, did you commit all these crimes? And Frosta says... Science demands many victims to advance itself. And here they did something where they like they show the buzzards in the cage and the monkey in the cage and all these mice in the cage. And I was like, that's true. And that's so fucking sad. Yeah. I mean, look at all the goddamn heads in the pantano. Like, yeah. Of course, I'm like the animals. Don't (laughs) don't (laughs) the humans about the bodies. The animals. Okay, so Frosted takes a syringe and he fills it up and he injects it into Simone. And he explains here that throughout his life, he has been forced to flee from many cities and that he's going to have to die. But actually, someone will die in my place. And then he switches clothes with Igor and puts his watch on Igor's wrist. 
and says he even changed Igor's teeth to be just like his. And when they find Igor's burnt body, they'll think it was me. Which explains the two right hands that the cops found. Because if he's able to put all his own shit into Igor to make him to make them think that he has died, like teeth, blood, whatever the hell, Mm. then that means he's been successful enough to do that kind of shit with other people's hands and bodies and whatever the fuck. You know what I mean? Sure, his like gene... Splicing. (sighs) Conversion. Yeah, something like that. He's converted my genes. Science. Convert the genes, sir. (laughs) And so he hands poor Ego this big jug of gas and Igor goes outside and sets himself on fire and it is... Not well done, no pun intended. Oh, God, they're like, here's It looks like a scarecrow. (laughs) (laughs) It's bad. Oh, no. And so Frosta (laughs) then explains to Dr. Moore that the police will find three dead bodies. His dead body, quote-unquote, meaning Igor's dead body. And then they will also find Dr. Moore's dead body and Dr. Croger's, along with the confession suicide note. And meanwhile... I will be able to continue my work around the world. But just then, Richard bursts into the cabin lab and he Richard. and Frost uh, fight fucking Richard and my lady, whatever. <laughs> it really does sound like, like a rhinestone cowboy. My love, my lady. <laughs> my lady. My own robot. So they begin to scuffle. And in the scuffle, they knock over a Bunsen burner. That's what it's called, right? A Bunsen burner? Like a Bunsen burner, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yes, from chemistry. I can't believe I remember that. And so they, they, the place catches on fire. The cabin lab starts to burn. Dr. Moore is able to grab Croger, and they are able to get out. The fire begins to rage, and I'm pretty sure we get shots of the monkey and buzzards actually burning, alive. burning up. Yeah. Burning fucked. alive. So I fucked. hate it. I yeah. fucking hate it. Simone wakes up screaming, so Frosta grabs her. And Richard, who came for Simone in the first place, just runs. Richard. He just runs out of the cabin. You he just runs dick. out of the cabin. And just then, Mustachio Detective and his crew arrive, and they all watch the place burn to the ground. And we also see the swamp heads, the bodies also watching all this. They're like, ooh, look at all these shenanigans (laughs) over here. (laughs) (laughs) And the cabin burns down, and then everybody... drive away! These cops were like, well, I guess there's a fucking fire here, who cares? They literally, right, they're like, in a matter of seconds... The they caption leave like says, idiots. Car sounds driving <laughs> away. <laughs> oh my god! Ridiculous! You idiots! Idiots! You idiots! And we see that, duh. Of course, Frosta survived, and he walks off carrying Simone's body, and he leaves her in the swamp. And so I wrote here. I guess she's dead. I sure. guess that's it. Whatever you say. Cut to fucking Dr. Frost to teaching a science class, como si nada, talking all his death bullshit. Death is not the end. Science Science bullshit to his students. And he dismisses the class, but a young, attractive student is all, Professor, I'm so fascinated by your theories. Your class is so stimulating. I was like, this bitch. (laughs) 
Professor, I'm so fascinated by your theories. Your class so stimulating. Why are we, who, what's happening? <laughs> and so now that they're alone, it's just Frosta with this poor girl. He goes, he goes, how old are you? And oh, I wrote, girl. Wow. Girl. Wow. Wow. Shit. So this girl is all, I'm 22 and just crazy about genetics. And I live alone. I have no family here. And I wrote, girl. <laughs> Why are you telling your teacher this? <laughs> I live alone and I have no family here. I have no friends. No family, Simply no dog, no one, no absolutely cat. no, no one, one knows me. I exist. Absolutely. Murder me now, please, just murder me. Yes, I would love. <laughs> as long as you're telling me about genetics, it would be lovely <laughs> <laughs> to be murdered. Oh my god! And so Frosta uh, says to her, "I am also alone, <laughs> very alone. <laughs> Let's have coffee sometime." Uh, just then, in comes Mustachio Detective to save the day. Finally doing something right, this oh, dickhead. this fucking idiot. And Mustachio Detective says to this girl, you don't know how lucky you are. And I was like, oh, that's... Seriously. That's true. Yeah. He sends her on her way. She leaves, and Mustachio Detective says to Frosta, I've had to follow you around the world, Dr. Frosta. Scientists like you. What are you after? And Frosta looks right into the fucking camera. Again, this isn't the first time. We're, this is the end of our movie, people. This is the yes. end of our movie. And he looks into the into, camera and says. Down the barrel. Into our soul, if yeah. you will. And he says, like the poem says, tell me, lonely raven, from what distant land do you come? What is your ambition? The raven answered, nevermore. Fin de la fucking terrible película. <laughs> when he, looking into our eyes, said that, I wrote, what? <laughs> <laughs> and when we tell you that it's a close-up of his gorgeous face, yeah. freeze frame, freeze, freeze frame, frame, and then it pops up. <laughs> oh man oh. all right let's get into some trivia yes let's do it okay this is my trivia for today i love genetics and i would love to talk to you about them but unfortunately that's not what i have uh <laughs> I found an article from a website called thespinningimage.co.uk on Swamp of the Ravens. And um, it just had a little sentence here that I was like, oh, okay, interesting. There aren't many horror movies from Ecuador, but The Swamp of the Ravens was one of those, actually a production with a selection of Spanish talent and partly backed by Spanish money looking for a cheap location to make a frankly also pretty... <laughs> Uh, frankly, an also pretty cheap film. Manuel Caño was the man at the helm, creator of a number of trashy flicks, of which this was possibly the most notorious. Although that assumes it was 
well known in the first place, which it wasn't particularly. <laughs> oh, <laughs> damn! <laughs> wow, lay it out. The reason it had a reputation as one to avoid unless you wanted to turn your stomach was the inclusion of an actual autopsy footage, which was notable not only thanks to its exploitative nature but also for its presentation. When the Mexican movie Night of the Bloody Apes, note, uh, mm-hmm. included actual open heart surgery in its running time, you could just <gasps> about forgive it. But when this movie had a corpse playing the role of one of the supporting characters being cut up to find out what killed the fictional person, then you would likely balk. There were no close-ups, and the autopsy happened in one corner of the frame. It was also notable for having a few of the cast standing around, acting within the same shot, and that included spaghetti western stalwart Fernando Sancho, who played a mustachio detective, Ah, uh who may not have been reputed to be a nice guy at all. So, ooh, drama, there's some tea. Hmm. But Mm -hmm. on this evidence was prepared to have even lower standards than his detractors might have ever considered. So they're like, this guy was a dick. Of course, he wanted to stand there in his autopsy shot. So also, I love how they're like in a corner of the screen. You mean right in the fucking middle of the screen? I mean, it's right in the fucking middle of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the shot, we're not like fully seeing it. It's not super up close, but it is. I mean, it's. It's, it's more than very enough. Very visible, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's talk now about one of the Ecuadorian actors in this fume. In this fume. <laughs> in this fume. <laughs> in this fume. Um, in this film, his name is Cesar Carmignani, and he played the mustachio detective's like little partner mm-hmm. man, mm-hmm. who was kind of like another bumbling idiot kind of guy. Um, mostly asking like the questions that you'd be like, but uh, what about this? And what about that? Just a sweet little guy. Mm -hmm. So I found an article on him in uh, a website called Zine or Zine.ec. So I believe it's an Ecuadorian, Uh, uh um, site. And it says here, I, it Google translate. With 50 years involved in the audiovisual world, Cesar has been a director, producer, actor, and screenwriter of various productions, including documentaries, miniseries, soap operas, films about our history, literature, geography, and fiction. He has made productions such as Julio Jaramillo, Nightingale of America, Manuela Sainz, Matilde Hidalgo de Porcel, The Invincible Lady, Mercedes de Jesús, El Castigo de la Grandeza, Narcisa de Jesús, Llamado del Cielo, amongst others, which marked the history of cinema in Ecuador. He also wow. act- yes. He also acted in the film Dos para el Camino by Jaime Cuesta and Father by Accident by Manuel Busquetes. Uh, he also, I guess, famously played Simón Bolívar. The filmmaker has received awards and recognitions of great importance, such as the Catalina de Oro Award for Best Unit for TV at the Cartagena Festival of 1996-1997 for the medium-length film... <laughs> medium-length? Okay. <laughs> for the medium-length film Memories of Paita, Manuela, and Simón Bolívar. 
and Premios Nosotros 2016 in Milan, Italy, with recognition for 11 of its participating productions, among others. Currently, the filmmaker is working on a large international co-production of something called Yasuni. So that's kind of cool. Wow, very so still, prolific. Yeah, still working, Making doing the jam. Yeah. And now, to finish off, let's talk about Ronnie Shark. His real name is Bill Harrison. He was born in, on October 26, 1947. I believe that is Scorpio. Yeah. He has many credits to his uh, work. Some His very first uh, uh, acting job was in Sweet Charity in 1969. Oh. He played a baseball player. Um, but he also played uh, a character named Mr. Maltz in the very famous film Deep Throat. Wow. Yes. Like the porn. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and uh, turns out most of his work is actually in pornography. He was in he played a construction worker in the film Bijou. He played um, Billy Harris in Deep Sleep. He played um, someone in a movie called Sex Machine and someone else <laughs> in a movie named Sex Lies and Video Cassette. He also was a director for uh, three films. The biggest one I ever saw. Uh, wow. Okay. Too Big for His Britches and Bear Tales. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I so, love it. Um, so Ronnie Shark, who played uh, Dr. Froger, uh, mm -hmm. was our resident porn actor and director. I mean, you got you to gotta try your hand at all, at all things. And that's the end of my trivia. I fucking love your trivia. <laughs> and um, I'm going to add something to your Ronnie Shark trivia. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thrilling. Because I need your eye, because I need you to look at some pictures. Okay. Not to oh fucking put this to you. I'm going to send you something. Okay. So I also look through the same thing that you did where I was like, you know, I was trying to find something on the actors who weren't There's from Spain in my lot. trivia. Yeah. Wasn't a lot. So I was like, I clicked on Ronnie Shark and I was, <laughs> I saw his directing credits being like, Bear Tales, too big for his britches, the biggest one I ever saw. So I was like, these sound gay to me. So I looked him up and I came across a blog spot called Welcome to My World, which I will say is like a blog spot, blog spot. <laughs> <laughs> A blog spot that celebrates old school porn, like, you know, like 70s, 80s porn. And I found an entry on Bill Harrison, a.k.a. Big Bill, a.k.a. <laughs> William Kennedy Harrison, a.k.a. Ronnie Shark, a.k.a. Ken Harrison. And apparently he directed several films for Tiger slash Fox Studio with his longtime partner, John Coletti. And uh, I'm going to send you some pictures. And I just okay. the, the reason I'm sending them to you is because, first of all, clearly these are going to be explicit. They're uh -huh. going to be explicit. <laughs> but he doesn't look like Croger to me. Let's see. 
So I want you to see. So I want to know if you think that this is an IMDb mistake, but I Which pray to have, Jesus. we have come across before. That is the thing. Now, I want to keep this trivia because I just find it so hilarious and fascinating. Yeah. But I want to get your take on whether you think this could be the same person. Okay. I mean, it's clearly mostly pictures of his dick. So I'm just, very excited. Just be prepared. Send Hold on them a second. to me. Sensitive content warning i understand mm-hmm. and i wish to continue <laughs> now there are other men in these pictures but take a look at that like gingery mustached whoa, whoa, guy whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> holy shit god Dude, damn i t- oh yes the man god. is <laughs> the man <laughs> oh my god yeah he was uh very well hung um holy shit Holy <laughs> shit. What do you think? I mean, the very last one of this like shadowy ginger photo with the mustache. That could be him. You know what? Wikio Road is going to say it's the fucking same guy. We'll just say it's the same dude. I think so. I think it's more fun that way. So Agreed. Anyway, did just he, did he age very poorly? Yeah, most, he yes, didn't, it seems he didn't age well. Let's yeah. be clear. Um, I mean, I I'm gonna say yes. <laughs> Holy shit! Welcome to Uikyo Road. We're just sending porn to each other. Just that's how we do it over here. Anyway, great. So <laughs> now let's talk about Marcos Molina. He played Richard, our fucking crooner dude. So it doesn't say my own robot. (laughs) It doesn't say shit about this guy on IMDb, which is just wrong in my opinion. It's possible that again this is not correct, but I'm pretty sure I'm right about this. So I found this from a website called Discogs.com, and it says here Marcos Raúl Molina Jurado. He was born on June 24th, 1951. Cancer. Cancer. In Guayaquil, he is married to Maria Antonieta Sotomayor. He is a doctor from the State University of Guayaquil and a specialist in cardiovascular surgery at the okay. same institution. Nice. He has two albums out, the Marcos Molina LP from 1971 and La Voz Bolivariana from 1973. And he was also in a group called Los Corvettes. <laughs> okay, cute. Very cute. So if you go to YouTube, look up the channel Musical Ecuador and you can find his song Nunca Supe Más de Ti from 1974. Listen, it's fucking great. Love it. And it says here in like the YouTube video description that he began his musical. He's now a fucking cardiovascular surgeon, for God's sake. But his musical career began, began when he was 14 with the Corvettes. Apparently, that lasted from 1964 to 1971. He was the winner of La Mejor Voz Bolivariana in the city of Bolivar, which is in Venezuela. That was in September of 1973. And he won that with the song America, America. Nice. It says here that he was in El Pantano, Pantano de los Cuervos, which is true. We literally just <laughs> watched it. <laughs> we, we watched him be in it. 
So I was like, that's so cool because, you that know, he's a so singer cool. in El Pantano de los Cuervos. And here he is actually being a singer. Like he released albums. You can fucking listen to it on YouTube. And so I also found another website called Buenamusica.com. And let's talk about Los Corvettes. So. Oh, my God. Los Corvettes is a rock band formed in Guayaquil, Ecuador. It was founded in 1962 by Jorge Yoyo Garcia, Jaime Ha-hu-he, ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I just mispronounced. Ha-ha-hu-he. <laughs> Jaime Ha-hu-fe. I think uh-huh. that J-A-J-U-F here. Ha-hu-fe. <laughs> Jaime Ha-hu-fe Chevasco, Alberto Bayarino Avitia, and Roberto Bayarino Avitia. Or Avitia? Avitia? Whatever. So at first, they called themselves Los Pájaros de Fuego. Mm. They had to learn to play a musical instrument. So Yo-Yo, Yo-Yo learned to play the drums. Alberto and Roberto played the guitar while... Javu. <laughs> it says right here. While Jajufe learned nothing. <laughs> Oh my god. Hahufe, <laughs> get it together. Fix your life, Hahufe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so oh. apparently the band members changed a lot. And in uh, in 1966, Robbie Garcia, who was the lead vocals at the time, I guess he wasn't an original member, but at some point he became <laughs> sorry, I've got the giggles. He became the lead vocalist. So he moved to Quito. And he was <laughs> fuck. Now we both got the giggles. It's fine. You can do it. He, he was replaced by Marcos Molina on lead vocals. It says here that among the main influences were the Beatles, Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, Three Dog Night, Los Monkeys. It says among <laughs> others, Cute. and their theme was always carrying the essence of love and peace. You can find like a full compilation album on YouTube, and it's very like hippie, sixties, seventies rock pop stuff. Sure, it's, it's cute. Honestly, is really cute. I, I liked it. I really hey, liked. Hey, with the heard. monkeys. In 1967, the first recordings were made with Orion record label of IFESA by Jorge Delgado Guzman. Unfortunately, in 1972, Alberto Bayarino and Doña Josefina, who I assume was his wife, I'm not quite sure. Unfortunately, they both died in a traffic accident. Uy. And Alberto Bayarino was the one who died. He was one of the original members. In 2002, they had a reunion with their audience where Roberto Bayarino confessed to having a great time. He said, (laughs) this reunion was a nice and pleasant experience. But in reality, without my brother Alberto, things were not as as I expected. It could have been better, which I was like, oh, my God, that's so sad. But you can like find pictures of them nowadays. I'm pretty sure I found older pictures of Marcos Molina. Uh Uh-huh who is now just a surgeon. So, uh, yeah, thought that was very, very cool. That is very cool. Our own Ecuadorian uh, 60s. You know, yeah, 60s vibe band. Very cool. Last but not least, Mike Judge was born in, was born in Guayaquil on October like 17th of 1962. Yeah, so I looked up Guayaquil and... Uh, 
Mike Judge was born there. Is he Latino? I believe both of his parents were American, uh-huh. like United States America. But for some work thing. Maybe diplomats. Parents happened to be in Ecuador and he was born there. Hilarious. could not believe. That's very cool. And that is my trivia for today. I love it. How about I ask you some questions? Let's go. Jonathan, were you scared? No. Were you? Not a moment. (laughs) What was your best scare? Simone being stalked by Frosta at the airport. Did not like that part. What about you? For me, it was like the panning of the heads in the water. There was just something incredibly creepy of like seeing just these like floating pale heads in this like very reedy water. It was creepy. Yeah. It gave yeah. me it gave me um Lord of the Rings when they're walking to Mordor with Gollum and they're like over this like all these dead bodies and the yeah. in the water slash the Harry Potter moment when um when they're in totally. the cave and mm-hmm. all those and, and the, the corpses dead, yeah people rise whatever S- same totally. vibes who was your favorite character Dr. Moore I guess cuz <laughs> she was in on it sure sure i don't know dude who was yours mine was pan flute freddy oh sure absolutely <laughs> yeah Great, great guy. Um, <laughs> love, <him. laughs> love that he walked through walls. Um, <laughs> what was your best line? I don't know why, but the way that that sex worker, the one who just got her medical degree from Puerto yeah. Rico, yeah, when yeah. she said, where did you come from, bud? I <laughs> laughed so hard at that line. I love that line. So that's that's got to take it. What about you? Take your beak out of my heart and don't leave one black feather. Your eyes are those of a green demon and I ask, tell me, bird or demon, is there any hope for me? Just because it was, I feel like that was the first insane moment. Like that was the first time that I was like, what the oh. fuck is going on here? What the fuck is going on on this totally. day? Totally, yeah. Oh, Jesus. What was your best death? I'm going to give this to a, an honorary death to those poor animals in the fucking cabin lab that gets burnt down. These animals were in there like, I'm just trying to live my life and you're burning me alive in a movie. Yeah. Absolutely not, I refuse. That was fucked. So I'm going to give it to them. What about you? I'm giving it to the sex worker, how she was like, I'm smoking a cigarette, smash cut, dead. <laughs> Not a moment's notice. It, like, literally just like, and this woman is dead, drained of all her blood. It was That's it. ridiculous. Did you <laughs> learn anything from the film and of the culture? No. Did you? Me neither. Absolutely. Not, not a thing. No. Nothing. How many ooys do you give this movie? I'll give it one. Me too. Just no. This is just no. This was bad. This is. I will say. Sorry. You, please go ahead. I say watch it because oh, yeah. it's it's so crazy. Like it's so bonkers that it's just it's hilarious. You like, should see it just yeah. to be like, holy shit! You you gotta see this fucking crazy movie called The Swamp of the Ravens. It's a steaming turd. Steaming but you turd. Must watch this. Yeah. 
The reason I give it a one, though, is like, well, first, first, it's just a bad movie. It's yeah. just a bad movie. Plot holes abound. I really don't like the fact that they killed those animals, which we all know. I really feel strongly about that. The autopsy felt in poor taste. That was, Holy that was crazy. Shit. Yeah. I will say, like, the one that I give it, even though I don't think, I assume this was not intentional, it did bring about, like, interesting ideas about unhoused people mm-hmm. and sex workers and how... We tend to ignore them. Society tends to ignore them. Yeah, they're disposable. They disposable. They are, are they are uncounted as missing people. Right. I don't think that was the message of the movie, but it was clear. Yeah, it was absolutely. clearly brought up in this film, which I thought was an important thing to notice. Yeah. And also the incompetence of policemen who are staring at women instead of doing their fucking jobs. Like yeah. I was just like, it 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 said interesting things about police. And about not paying attention to, you know, vulnerable people. But I don't think that's what the fucking message was. So I'll give this movie a one. It's a piece of shit. What about you? I gave it one because it was ridiculous. Uh, And honestly, like Freddie Pan Flute's face, fucking Poncho's face, that little heart moment of Igor, like that was enough to get a one from me. Like those little special effects, even the fucking shitty hand, like the like fucking decomposing hand that gets flung on the table. Like that looks pretty solid. So that's my one. Great. Great. Well, let's get out of the swamp because there are too many dead bodies in here. There's too many heads floating around. (laughs) Uh, Thank you everyone for being here with us once again. We appreciate you and you. And you, and you, and you. Uh, make sure to subscribe, <laughs> rate, and review to us in any platform that you choose. We appreciate it. You can find us in our redes sociales at Uikuror on Instagram and Twitter. You can send us an email at Uikuror at gmail.com. And um, uh, make sure to like and follow Sonoro over on Twitter and Instagram as well. You can follow them at Sonoro Podcast. They are the swamp that we reside in. And much nicer um, swamp than this one. Though. Oh, this the swamp that Sonoro gives to us. It's um <laughs> refreshing. Lovely. Good uh, for the skin. Floral. <laughs> <laughs> and um if you go to the Zanzibar Club and you see a man and he sings to you, my own robot, <laughs> my love, my lady. You make sure to give him a standing ovation. Oh, you get up on your feet. (laughs) You stand up tall and proud. And Johnny, you're the only one that I want to be a robot for. (laughs) Same. I am your robot. My My love. My love. My my lady. lady. I just said my love. My love. My my love. My lady. (laughs) And I, I really fucking love you, dude. I fucking love you, too. And we'll see you guys in la próxima semana. Adiós. Adiós. Uy, qué horror. Es una producción de Sonoro. Produced by Jonathan Atkinson and Eileen Clark. Edición y mezcla, Karina Riverol. Escuche Uy, qué horror en cualquier plataforma donde escuchen podcasts. Subscribe, rate, and review. Adiós. Adiós. Adiós.